This is the Housemade Podcast. We're your hosts, John Vieira and Nick Bobbin. We're here to cover your questions about home bartending. So let's get into it. What's up, guys? Uh, back again today with another episode of Housemade Podcast. Today we wanted to talk about the history, if you can really call it that, <laughs> of the Manhattan. Um, we had talked before about the martini, and it was really interesting, and we kind of drew some lines to some different cocktails and some different origin stories with some of that. And today's going to be kind of like that. Uh, there's a lot of hearsay. There's a lot of people that claim to have come up with mm-hmm. this drink, and nobody really knows. Yeah, so probably one of the biggest stories that you see everywhere that's now known to be false or widely accepted to be false is that the Manhattan Club in New York sometime in 1874 had a party for a one lady, uh, Randolph Randolph Churchill, Churchill, which is uh, apparently (laughs) Mr. Winston Churchill's mother, uh, was attending and they made this cocktail called the Manhattan and it was so wildly popular that it just spread like wildfire from there. However, as uh, <clears throat> Dave Wondrich so kindly points out, um, the Lady Churchill was actually in England about to give birth to little Winston himself at this current, at that that point in time. Yeah, probably not partying in New York. Yeah. However, she may have still been enjoying Manhattans while she was pregnant because that definitely was, was just, a thing. Then, yeah, yeah, it was a thing. Uh, but she wouldn't have been doing it in New York. So, yeah, that was kind of debunked. Um. So what's what's the um, what's the more common? Well, so thought? the so the accepted truth of the matter is is considerably boring. Um, it was a bartender who goes by Black, who was from the Hoffman House, which was very close to this uh, Manhattan Club. Sometime in the eighteen eighties, uh, invented this cocktail, and everybody liked it, and it just kind of did what cocktail stuff does and just spread like wildfire. Well, there you go. I think it's it's significant to note that, especially in New York, there wasn't nearly as many clubs and as much influence and stuff like that as there probably are nowadays within city limits. So, yeah, but still, for like New York in the world at that point in time was that was a huge influence. Oh, for sure. I just mean that there was probably a lot of crosstalk between anyone oh, that was yeah, running yeah, bars yeah. Oh, or absolutely. working together, right? Yep. So say you have a couple of drinks one day and you're telling your buddy, you're like, oh, man, I came up with this really great drink. I think people are going to love it. I'm calling it this. Well, guess what? That guy probably took that same <laughs> now drink. Now your drink. Which uh, is funny because you start to see these names pop up. Um, you know, the, the Manhattan came out uh, in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. But there was also other names that people were calling it. So there was like the Turf Club cocktail and oh, yeah. uh, the Jockey yep, Club I saw that cocktail, too, yeah. things like that, which were all very, very similar, you know, versions of the same thing. Which Yeah, because uh, what was the one of the first publications of the actual recipe was in, it wasn't Jerry Thomas's book. It was somebody else in like eight. It was 1882. Okay, yeah, 1882. But it had like a dash of absinthe in it, right? Uh, yeah, so what I wrote down was, uh, 1882, this article comes out by the Sunday Morning Herald. Oh, um, maybe this isn't what I was thinking about. 
And uh, the ingredients were mentioned in the article, but it was pretty vague. It wasn't necessarily like uh, like a recipe. It gotcha. was kind of just mention of the drink. Okay. Um, so the ingredients were mentioned and the name, Manhattan Cocktail. Um, but like we were just saying, there was also mention of like the Jockey Club Cocktail, Turf Club Cocktail. Um, Which were literally the same cocktails. Uh, as far as we know, yeah. Same, okay. same thing. Um, okay, so for anybody that doesn't know, a Manhattan Cocktail is... Um, whiskey, sweet vermouth, and Angostura bitters. So it's like it's like the brown spirited version of a martini. Yeah, almost kind of kind of yin and yang, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which which is interesting to note because there was two years later, so in eighteen eighty four, it was the first detailed recipe of the cocktail that was actually like printed. And it was in O.H. Byron's The Modern Bartender's Guide. Oh, that's the one I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting because there was actually two different versions printed. Uh, oh. So variations of it. And one of them actually used the French or the dry vermouth instead mm. of the sweet vermouth. So this recipe here says one pony of French vermouth, which they, they measured things oddly back then. They had well, yeah, they measured them in, uh, I think a pony is an ounce. I think a pony's an ounce, a uh, half wine glass was probably like two, two ounces, ounces and yeah. then a wine glass was like four oh. ounces or something. Uh, it's kind of old school, like Jerry Thomas stuff, if you've ever looked at that. But it says one pony of French vermouth, one pony of whiskey, and it doesn't say if it's rye or bourbon or anything else yep. like that. It just says whiskey. Uh, three to four dashes of Angostura bitters, and then three dashes of gum syrup. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, gum. Uh, which which was really common. Yep. Back then, so it, it it's not a it's just weird to see the French vermouth in there instead of the sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the other uh, published recipe was one wine glass of whiskey, one wine glass of Italian vermouth, which, which would have been the sweet vermouth, right? And quite a bit larger ratios too. Um, two well, dashes of Angostura and then two dashes of curacao. Oh, weird. Okay. And then <laughs> later. A few years later, there was another recipe um, that, man, I can't remember what that one came out in, uh, but it mentions the addition of some dashes of absinthe mm. and and orange bitters, actually. It, oh, o- it omitted okay. the Angus Angus bitters. and went for orange instead. So, like anything, yeah. in its, in its uh, infancy, it, it went through some changes. Yeah. There was, you know, people kind of drinking them in different ways. Yeah, which I guess lends lends the the history back to this gentleman named Black, um, being the one to actually invent it for no reason other than just to invent the cocktail, and then it just morphed as other people ripped him off, more or less. Yeah, essentially. Um, and I I will say though that uh, everywhere that I can find is saying that rye whiskey was the primary use in it yeah, yeah. until Prohibition hit, and then Canadian was the primary. Just because it was easier to get. Yep. And then it never really recovered from there. Then it was whatever you want. Yeah. Whiskey. um, That recipe I was just referencing, I just found it, is um, it's Harry Johnson's 1900 Bartender's Manual. Mm. Um, That specific recipe was a half wine glass of whiskey. Okay. Half glass of vermouth. Literally doesn't say which one. (laughs) One dash of curacao or absinthe. One to two dashes of orange bitters, and then one to two dashes of gum syrup. Hmm. Um, so it goes through plenty of changes. It's not unusual to see this. Things aren't documented very well. And and these recipes are not uber specific because yeah. 
back in the day, if it said whiskey, you just used whatever, whatever whiskey you had. had. Yeah. You you didn't necessarily have the ability to get different stuff. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I did also see that um, thing about the widespread use of Canadian whiskey. Yeah. And during Prohibition. I will say this. Um, I, when I got married, I had an abundance of Jack Daniels left over and vermouth, actually. Sweet vermouth. And I thought I would make a Manhattan. Those two don't go together. It mm. literally tasted like like weird, rancid peanut butter. <laughs> it was so nasty. <laughs> well, Jack Daniels has such a very specific taste. Yeah. And it's not what I would call like a good flavor for mixing in a cocktail. It's, no. I think it's that charcoal filtering. It It just gives it like a weird... It gives a weird tang to it. Yeah, it's got just, something... It's great when you put it with like Coke or you put it in a lemonade or something like that. Yeah. But putting it with other spirits it definitely has that flavor because even as a lower proof i'm not going to call it low proof but it's not an overproof spirit so it's just mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure it's just 40 percent, 40 percent, right um it still really comes through like if you mix it with coke you can taste like yeah i got some jack daniels in there yep like it's a taste thing oh yeah um will you hand me that bottle of pineapple rum i definitely want to drink that oh okay is that one yep okay. uh so one thing that i thought was kind of uh similar to when we were talking about the martini was the variation of the ratios because if you start to look at some of these earlier recipes that come out a lot of them are like that 50 50 or that one-to-one kind of thing which makes sense a little bit lower abv um you could sit down and have three of them at lunch and not um, (laughs) have to crawl to your car exactly but you do start to see those ratios change over time and, you know, the addition of, of different types of whiskey and yeah. things like that. Um, so that definitely happens. And I think very similarly to the martini, I think nowadays in modern times, uh, I think you're seeing that that ratio go back more toward a, a wetter ratio. So using more vermouth. Yeah. I will I will say for me, I... I super love 50-50 martinis. I really like the dry vermouth. And, but for a Manhattan, I still super like the whiskey. I very much am like four to one, four whiskey to one vermouth. And I think it depends on the whiskey you're using and the vermouth you're using. This is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I told you this. When I very first started working at Craft, uh, Manhattan was one of my favorite cocktails. And, mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's still one of mine, yeah. It, yeah, it still is, but... Uh, it was kind of, it was eye-opening to start looking over the drinks that we were making at Craft because up yeah. until that point, I'm not convinced that I'd ever had a really good one. I had gone to like, you know, like Chris's dad's house and, and that, <laughs> yeah, that guy's yeah. idea of a drink is like you fill the glass with booze <laughs> and then you sprinkle something on top of it. Yeah. And the sprinkle is usually ice or something. Right. Um, <laughs> or Coke or, or things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and don't get me wrong, I, I love that, but it's not what I would call a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then other places, you know, where like the vermouth is nasty. And so it was kind of revolutionary to go in and, and take a cocktail that I already really liked. Yeah. And then to have a version of it that was a lot more consistent that I was like, oh, yeah, I like, really Dang. like this. And that ratio being two and a half ounces of rye whiskey to three quarter ounce of the sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. But on that note, I went home after, I don't know, probably the first month of working there. And I was like, man, make some Manhattans. Uh, so I bought... 
I bought some really nice sweet vermouth. I bought the Carpano Antica, which oh, is fantastic. Dude, which is good. It's so jammy and pungent. It just comes. Dude. Oh, it's so sweet. I love it. It kicked the shit out of the whiskey. Like, I didn't <laughs> I didn't expect it. No, it does. It does. But that's like, sometimes you're in the mood for that. Yeah, which is fine. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't expect it. I'd never totally. used sweet vermouth that had that big of balls on it. You never in a million years think that your sweet vermouth is going to walk on your whiskey. <laughs> um, so it was just, it was really strange, but uh, it kind of taught me two things. It taught me that the sweet vermouth really, really matters in your mix mm-hmm. and that I really like sweet vermouth on its own because I drank the oh, rest yeah. of that bottle literally just on the By rocks. Itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is great. It was fantastic. Um, but no, I just thought that was really cool. And then, of course, uh, alongside with the concept of ratios changing over time, you also have these variations of the Manhattan that, uh, that are pretty well known, right? Like So things like the Rob Roy. Yep, which is switching out like a blended scotch for your whiskey. Yeah. So instead of doing like a rye whiskey or, or some, a lot of people really like bourbon, you stick that scotch in there. Yep. And that becomes a Rob Roy. And it's delicious because blended scotch is really smooth. Mm-hmm. But you can also put a little bit of that like uh, peated scotch in there if you like yep. that kind of that peaty that smokiness. smokiness to it. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, or a black Manhattan. Those black Manhattan. are super popular for us. One of my favorites. So if you guys have not ever had... Um, Averna before it's A V E R N A. It's an Italian um Amaro, yeah. Amaro. Yeah. Much like it's like very cola like almost, but yeah. like sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it kinda is. It has uh, it has almost like a like a subtle coffee bean or like a cola. It's it's got this really like rich thing to it. And it's about the same sweetness as vermouth. So it's yeah, not crazy it's over low. the top mm-hmm. like sweetness, but it does have a sweetness. Yep. Uh, Which it, is why you call it a black Manhattan, because you're changing out this black spirit, right. Verna, for the vermouth. Right. And it makes it quite a bit darker. And it's amazing. If you haven't tried one of those. Yeah, it pairs perfectly with rye whiskey. Yeah, it's super good. But you also have, um, gosh, what is the name of that? Uh, it, so it's essentially, it's a cognac Manhattan, the Harvard cocktail. Have you oh, ever had one of those? No, I haven't. I bet you it's delicious. It's pretty good. I mean, it's way smoother. Oh yeah, than other versions of it. But I mean, it's it's delicious. Um, and then just, I mean, there's a, there's a couple other versions, right? There's people that like um, perfect Manhattans, yep. so that would be equal parts uh, dry vermouth and sweet vermouth in your which, ratio. Which those are really good. They are pretty good. If you've never had one, I would uh, venture you to try it. You've also got. Uh, dry Manhattans, which is essentially yep. just like that very early yep. recipe. Dry vermouth instead dry of sweet vermouth, yep. which is kind of funny because in the Manhattan realm, if you ask for a dry Manhattan, you're not going to get one that's just whiskey. Right. You just ask for whiskey on the rocks, I guess, at that point. When you ask for a dry Manhattan, you're going to get one with dry vermouth instead. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive because when you ask for a dry, dry martini, martini, you're asking for less or no right. vermouth. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still very curious and we haven't, I don't know if anyone technically knows the answer to this, but I'm still really curious which cocktail came first, the Manhattan, the Martinez, or the Martini? I think it was the Martinez. That's what I've always thought, but the research that we did for the Martini episode kind of reached a little bit more toward, like, the Manhattan being, like... Yeah, okay, but the Manhattan was, what, 1880s? 1880s, yeah. Okay, and when was the Martinez? The Martinez was, like, a Dutch Geneva one, wasn't it, like, 16-something? 17, maybe? I don't think it was that far back. Oh, wasn't it? Okay. It well, was still 18 something. It's possible that people were 
drinking some that the the biggest question is when which i think was around the same time around the uh late 1800s uh when did that vermouth become available oh okay right that's fair because whether you're talking about sweet or dry vermouth Mm -hmm. and the reason why people were thinking it was either the martinez or the manhattan is because italian sweet vermouth was easier to get at the time than french dry vermouth yeah at at one point in american history it was the only vermouth we had access to we didn't even have the dry and so that's the reason why well it kind of makes sense when you're talking about the uh what, the, what was that cognac bug? The um, oh, uh, Veloxera? F- yeah, f- Veloxera. Or Veloxera or something yeah. that killed all the wine crop in France. And that was the 1860, 1870s, I think. Uh, I have the date. Let me look. Yeah, look it up. It was... Uh, so 1875, sometime between then ah, and 1880. Okay, so then I guess it would have to be the Martinez or the Manhattan then. Right. Over before the Martini. And it could have been. Uh, the thing that we were learning, if you, if you didn't listen to that episode, the thing that we kind of learned on that episode was that it was very unclear because a lot of uh, a lot of menus, I guess, if you went into a club somewhere or a restaurant and they were serving that drink, is they would offer whatever they were calling it, they would offer two versions of it, one with whiskey or one with gin. Because that was really what people were drinking at the time in America. Mm. They were like, yeah, we got whiskey or we got gin. Mm-hmm. So which version of this drink do you want? So it seemed like they were almost the same, kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay. So I mean, we'll probably never know. And we were citing uh, some of Dave Wondrich's uh, research, which, if anyone knows, know, it's him. It's that guy's gonna know. And so, uh, I mean, just based on what we read, it's really hard to say. But the moral of the story is that these are really great classics, and so we wanted to dip into kind of the history of it and just see where it's coming from and, and why it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. The whole like cocktail actual like culture and all that stuff literally starts in like, I don't know, 1850s and is like pretty much most of it set in stone by like 1910. Yeah. And then there's a handful that evolve through there and up to current day, but like most of these drinks, that's the time, time frame they're coming out of, which is crazy. Yeah, and I think it was really when like, the documentation was starting to take place. So a lot of these yep. uh, like bartender manuals and mm-hmm. things like that were actually like being printed. Now, whether or not the information yep. that was in there is true, nobody yeah. knows. And but. I mean, that's also when like the United States started to boom from continent to continent, and wasn't just a handful of colonies on the you know on the East Coast. Yeah, because what was the gold rush? It was like eighteen forty nine. Yeah. I think it was yeah. when everybody took off to San Francisco and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I don't know how long uh, of a time frame with that like gold rush scene. I don't know like how long that was taking place, but definitely yeah. 49 was right. Oh, I was it. just thinking because like this is it's all just sorry. It's all around the same time frame that people are expanding out to and more people are flooding into the United States at that point, especially places like New York. Right. Right. And yeah, so you're getting a lot more. It's basically a big drunk game of telephone. That's that's what cocktail, <laughs> cocktail history is. is. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's funny and it's interesting, but like you're definitely not gonna you're you not gonna get the answers. Know, yeah. No. Like uh, this drink could have been invented simultaneously by three different people in three different parts of the world at the same time, for all we know. And totally. just and just no, none of them got credit because nobody was you know, going to this guy's house and drinking this drink. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's no way to really know, but it is still interesting to look into. Um, if there's any cocktail history or anything like that that you guys would like to hear about, um, 
to send us a message. Um, we'll we'll definitely go through and look into it. We're kind of just going off the cuff these days with information Taking that we think. Taking a stab at it. Yeah, I think stuff I think, that people might want to learn, you know? Yeah, in one of our episodes, we should do the history of Angostura. That would be cool, yeah. Yeah. How long have those guys been around? Oh, a long time. I don't know. I could do a quick Google search here to tell you. It's definitely been a while. They're in the 18-somethings, too. Uh, or maybe even longer. So for you guys at home that are making these drinks, maybe have never tried some of these drinks, like uh, if you've never had a Manhattan, um, really easy to make. You don't need a whole bunch of ingredients. And we have all these recipes posted on housemadesyrup.com. So if you guys want to go there, check out the blog section. There's a bunch of recipes. Uh, maybe just try some stuff out. And, you know, just as you listen along to these episodes, just kind of see if there's anything that really resonates with you. It says uh, 1824, and it was invented by the Surgeon General for Venezuela. 1824? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so if anybody doesn't know what Angostura bitters are, they're the weird um, little bitters bottles. They're sold in almost every grocery store. They're a, a black bottle, bright yellow cap, and an oversized label. So the label actually goes up over the neck of the bottle. And so if it's been handled or fondled, it looks like literal crap. But... <clears throat> Yeah, it's a really weird label design. It, it definitely, it looks like maybe the first label they ever printed was an accident. That's the common, that's the common uh, belief, yeah. <laughs> and, and somebody was just like too prideful to be like, oh, we should definitely make this smaller. And they were like, nope, I meant it to be this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they're like, they did their first label run and they did 20,000 labels. Yeah. They're like, we're not changing And by this. the time it ran out, they're like, well, this is us now. What if it was like cheaper just to get that many labels in that size and they were going to have to cut them by hand and they were like, They're no. like, eh, just put it on there. This is very possible. I don't oh. know. Anyway, Angostura bitters are amazing and they're a huge, huge staple in some of these classic and cocktails. Everything. Well, think about this in 1824, if that's when it came out, by the time it hit the United States, probably the next, I don't know, 10 to 20 years-ish after that, they're them and like Peychaud's, they're like one of the only bitters probably around, which is why those two bitters are in everything. Or I guess orange, but I think it's probably because Ango made an orange. Ango makes an orange. I don't know when those ones came out. Orange bitters are, they're way more common. A lot of different brands make orange, make bitters. orange bitters because they're not, when you look at bitters, there's two different kinds. Essentially, there's there's a binding and lifting. And so things like orange bitters that are really light, they're they're really nice in drinks, but they, they aren't acting as the glue for that cocktail. So yeah. they're just like an additive. Yeah. On top. They're just there to just make it like extra nice. You know, the, the Angostura bitters, if you've ever tried to drink a Manhattan or an old fashioned without the Ango, you're it's like lost. Something's wrong here. Yeah. It's one of the three ingredients. So you can't be without it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, maybe, gosh, maybe we should talk about bitters. That would be a good one. Yeah. Talk about bitters as a whole. Yeah. And how, how you guys at home can make your own. Oh, yeah, it's super easy because I will say this. They're crazy expensive to produce, so they're crazy expensive to buy. And, like, by crazy expensive, I mean it's time-consuming and the ingredients are kind of expensive. Like, you to make it on your own at home is fun, and you probably won't think about that. But that's why you go and, like, a four-ounce bottle of bitters is, like, 15 to $20. You're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, thankfully, you don't have to use that much of it, so it, True. it stretches, but... Well, it's just like our bitters because we started making bitters now. And I was like, I'm not going to charge $14 for a bottle of bitters. I'm going to be the dude that charges like eight bucks. Joke's on me. Costs more than $8 to make a bottle of bitters. Yes. (laughs) 
I it's was like, definitely, oh, well, I guess I do have not, to charge $14. <laughs> it's definitely not cheap, but it is cheaper for you to make them at home, and it is super easy. And it's kind of fun because then you can experiment and you can put these these different um, you know recipes together. And there's so much stuff on the internet, too. So it's oh, not like yeah. you're starting blind. Like You can look up some recipes to start. Yeah, there's literally a book called Bitters, and it just has Bitters recipes in it. Right, which we should probably – we do have a copy of that at the bar. We should probably just like reference that in an episode and yeah, just kind of dive get in. into it. Cool. cool. Well, yeah, like I said, if there's anything that you guys uh, specifically want to learn or want to hear about, just uh, hit us up. Just let us know. Send us a direct message or an email. Um, all of this information is on the website. Yep. So just go to housemansyrup.com, uh, check out the blogs and the recipes, and then just drop us a line if uh, if you have any comments or questions, concerns. want to learn about stuff, yeah. If you want to call us names. Whatever. Yeah, whatever At you want. At this point, we would like just anybody to say hi. Yeah. We had a couple, couple like, I don't know, probably four or five weeks ago reach out and nothing since. Well, it's, I mean, it's it's a good thing because you don't necessarily want people reaching out all the time yeah, telling you yeah. that what you're doing sucks. Yeah, that's true. We don't have a lot of that, which I'm thankful for. But it is helpful to have the input because, you know, we're, we're kind of just trying to line up all these concepts mm-hmm. for what, what everybody would be interested in. Totally. So with that, if you have any ideas or suggestions, um, man, just let us know. Yeah, hit us up. All right. Well, cool. cheers, guys. We'll catch you next week. Cheers. <laughs>